This is the Men2 Podcast with Scott and Mick. On today's podcast, we're talking about an app that lets men stalk their wives, Ilhan Omar's commitment to inclusion, and the mysterious sacking of Alan Stagic. So let's talk about Absha. A Saudi mobile application that lets men track and restrict the movements of women in the kingdom has come under increased scrutiny this week with the U.S. Senator and Rights Group urging Apple and Google to remove it from their platforms, accusing the technology giants of facilitating gender discrimination. Saudi guardianship laws give women a legal status similar to that of minors in many areas of their lives. Every Saudi woman, regardless of age, has a male guardian, usually her father or husband, but sometimes her brother or son who must give his permission for her to get a passport, travel abroad, undergo certain medical procedures, or get married. The app in question called Absha, Abs Her, maybe that's an abbreviation for Abuse Her. Or Basha. Basha, yeah, that's a good one. was launched in 2015 by the Saudi government. It allows men to manage the women under their guardianship by giving or revoking their right to travel through airports tracking them by their national identity cards or passports. The men can turn on notifications that alert them with a text message anytime a woman under their guardianship passes through an airport. So what do you make of this, Mick? Well, I kind of like this because, uh, well, I don't like it. I like the fact that there have been a bunch of people, frothing netizens, as I like to call them, <laughs> who have come out saying how this is such a hateful app and that Google and Apple should ban it from their stores, given that, They've banned other apps that uh, have caused offence, like Infowars. <laughs> um, but I think they're probably the funny... Or Gab. Yeah, or Gab, or any, any, another, any number of other ones. Um, Apple and Google still haven't banned the app. Um, it's still under consideration, mm. so, so they're saying. Uh, but I think my favourite part of this is actually all of the reviews that have been left on the, on the <laughs> store from from uh, the people who got upset about hearing about this. And, let's, uh, have a, let's have a few examples. Yeah, so... Uh, um, Here's one. I love this app. It allows me to keep track of my many wives and worthless foreign slaves. Whenever I need to give one a beating, I can find them in an instant. Very, yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a, that's a good description of the app. Uh, this is a great app. Works as promised. I can monitor the safety of my wives and even know if they might have a flat tire. They like the security of knowing that they are easily located. I highly recommend it for anyone who has more than one wife with a penchant for shopping every day. I think probably... Uh, the, mo the most surprising thing about this app, even more so than the fact that uh, it allows men to track their wives, uh, is that it's actually developed by the government. And it actually appears to be quite useful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's, a lot of there's a lot of real reviews on, on the Play stores and things saying things like, oh, it makes my life easier, I can renew mm -hmm. my licenses online, make appointments and registrations. Women are home. saying this as well. It's, not, it's mm. not the men. Like There's women actually saying this in Saudi Arabia that it's useful for them. Well, that's right. And and actually, it's got about 30,000 reviews with a 4.6 average rating. Mm. And it has been ranked in the top 10 for all downloads in Saudi Arabia. So it's obviously a pretty famous and, and well-known app. Um, and ironically, given all of the new downloads of people who have just wanted to do that to give bad ratings, it's mm. actually pushed the app into the top 500 in the US <laughs> App Store in their productivity section. So uh, yeah. it's uh, well, kind of... It's about time they rolled out the US version then. I'd yeah, say. yeah. From the Christian Post, Democratic Muslim Minnesota Representative Ilhan Omar and my favourite anti-Semite is calling for an investigation into USA powerlifting's decision 
to bar a trans-identified athlete from competing against women, saying she doesn't believe she has a competitive advantage over women. Omar has refused to believe that biological men are stronger than women, saying that it's a myth, and discriminatory behaviour to think such things. What do you reckon, Scott? Oh, well, I thought what was really interesting was the letter that she wrote to the president of the USA, Powerlifting. So she said she cited a Minnesota Human Rights Act, which states that discrimination based on gender identity is illegal and refers to a case in December last year in which a trans woman was awarded $20,000 after the Independent Women's Football League refused her to to allow her to participate. And then in the next paragraph, and this I'm quoting directly, I urge you to reconsider this discriminatory, unscientific policy. The myth that trans women have a direct competitive advantage is not supported by medical science. And she does cite a study to back that up, which I skimmed through. And the study doesn't really back that up at all. It actually Let me guess. Is it just a headline with nothing behind it, like most other things? Um, it, I mean, but yeah, I mean, the headline, yeah, people get carried away with the headline. It, it, it's really sort of saying this area needs more study you know and and the standards that sports are applying aren't that rigorous and they're sort of they're sort of just sitting on the fence and saying well there's no evidence there isn't and no evidence there isn't yeah. which i think is actually wrong according to a lot of people so now the the standard that's been adopted by the international olympic committee in 2016 is that your testosterone levels have to be below a certain cutoff point for at least a year but um as Martina Navratilova has recently pointed out is now in a lot of trouble for um, simply reducing hormone levels the prescription most sports have adopted does not solve the problem a man builds up muscle and bone density as well as a greater number of oxygen carrying red blood cells from childhood right so she's and you know it's inter- she's an interesting case because she's been at the forefront of pushing you know gay rights for a, a mid decades basically and, she was one of the first. I mean, yeah, she was in the 80s. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and she was... So she's obviously now pilloried as a transphobe and, you know, she's a horrible person and all of this. But she didn't initially comment on this stuff because she said, I haven't done the reading. I'm, I'm not going to comment till." And she has gone away and she's done a lot of research and she's talked to people and this is what she's come back with. And, of course, it's not it's not pleasing the trans lobby. How do you think? How do you think there's a good way to compare whether men and women have any biological differences in sport? Do you think there's a? Do you think there's an easy way to do that? Oh, well, look. The the solution is we do away with men's and women's sport. Well, I mean, I think That's you could. E- we well, I think the easiest way is just to look at the world records in various events. Yeah. Is there is there any event you can think of where a woman's world record is greater than a man's? No, there isn't. And 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 just just to give you an indication, the the no, this is this was true the last time I looked at it. The, the women's world record holder for the 100-meter sprint wouldn't qualify for the Olympics for the male. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's, uh, that's Florence Griffith-Joyner, right? Is it? Maybe. I, I think, well, yeah, we might have to check that one. But, yeah. I mean, she, she was in, she was, I think, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, and she died of a heart attack in her late 30s. Right. And, yeah. I mean, she was, she was miles ahead of, yeah. of, of, of anyone else. Yeah. And I, remember, think that, I think her record still holds. Anyone listening should pull up a... Uh, an image of what she looked like at the time and tell me that she wasn't... Uh... Oh, I mean, give, give, given her world record is that far ahead of, of, of anyone else's and has stood for 20 or 30 years, I think you would have to assume that she's either a genetic freak or uh, or she was on something. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, of course, the obvious thing is if you combine men and women's sports, well, there won't be 
women athletes anymore. A whole cadre of professional female athletes will no longer be able to make a living. And the trans athletes won't be good enough to even qualify for any any top 100 event. I think it's worth noting that um, all the controversy, I think there was a controversy, it may have been in Texas just last week. Connecticut. Connecticut, was it? Some young black guy now identifying as a girl won a sprint and set a new and it set a new record in mm. the state or, or whatever and actually the person that ran second was also yeah the, the, the top two it was yeah. uh terry miller and andrea yearwood were their names and and the thing the thing about it is can you think of any examples where a trans man has won a competition and if not why not i mean doesn't that i know that's that's not exactly a scientific approach but You'd think there might be an anecdote here or there, but there just isn't. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any. I mean, I think the interesting point about those two trans athletes is that we're starting to see now quite a bit of pushback. I, I saw a interview with one of the one of the other girls who attended that school who finished, I think, ninth or tenth. Yeah. And because she's finished ninth or tenth now, she's actually not qualifying for the state championships. Right. And at the state championships, that's where athletes are getting selected for college scholarships. Yep. So you're seeing girls missing out now, potentially missing out on college scholarships because men who identify as women are taking those places. I mean, that's hardly, yeah. it's hardly, you know, mm. what the feminists of the, you know, 70s and 80s were, were fighting for. But there is an element of this of coming back to bite them, isn't it? Because feminists have argued, for example, for a long time that any differences between men and women are socially constructed. Right. Mm. And okay, so along comes uh, a, a trans woman and says, "Hey, you know, gender's a social construction. Live with it, you know." And then, I mean, I, I feel sorry for the the girls that are being disadvantaged. I mean, they're not. We can't assume that they're all feminists who push, you know, you know, this stupid gender as a social construct. But there is an element to this that I, I find it more amusing than alarming in a lot of ways. Just, just it, it's sort of, you know, feminism has come so far, and then. It's kind of erasing itself because of its own beliefs, in, or it's erasing what it means to be a woman, isn't it? Really? Well, yeah, and uh, I think one of one of the funniest things I saw about this whole these two two trans athletes in Connecticut was that when they, I mean they've been questioned quite a lot by the media, yeah, and they were they were asked if you know they thought it was unfair that you know they have a bio, biological advantage. <laughs> uh, one of them replied, "The other girls just need to work harder." <laughs> yeah. That's 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 your answer. Yeah. But getting getting back to the biological differences between men and women, and this stuff has been studied mm. ad nauseum. Yeah, there is a lot of research and yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of science behind this. Mm. And here's a few things that men have advantages over women: larger bone structure, higher bone density, stronger connective tissue, higher muscle density than women. And most of these biological benefits are given in utero, mm, yeah. which means when you know when you're in the womb, that's when you get these benefits. Yeah. You know, one year of of lowering your testosterone chemically yeah. is not going to take away those the those bone benefits. structure, yeah, the, the the density, none of that. So, I mean, no. to, to go back to your original question, I mean, it, it, it's not possible unless at some point in the future we have the technology to reduce your bone density well, and do it all harmlessly. I think it'll work, but basically what's going to need to happen is that uh, we're going to need to make male trans athletes or female trans athletes, we're going to have to saw off some of their bones. <laughs> To make them nine percent shorter, to, so they're even with women. Maybe yeah. just you know file off, file off a, a bit of the elbow, or uh, or you have a you, you know you extend the um, the Olympics by another week, and you have trans categories for everything. Well, so we're gonna have we're gonna have men's Olympics, women's Olympics, trans Olympics, and special Olympics. And because well, yeah, you could you could probably lump trans in with special Olympics. 
<laughs> are you gonna are you gonna be the uh do the opening ceremony speech as well <laughs> i would love it yeah. yeah uh but yeah i mean of course the problem is that because trans people are relatively few the actual standards of trans athletes would be pretty pretty awful right because mm-hmm. it's just such a small pool to pick from so there'll be someone who's really good and then there'll just be daylight between the next person probably yeah you know? well which is what's happening right now yeah. when trans athletes are, are competing against women it's uh they're just dominating yeah and then there's well to get back to um ilhan omar um there was a good tweet someone someone did some tweet archaeology and pulled up a tweet of hers from 2013 um and she's re- she was replying to someone and she wrote, this is about Christmas, and she wrote, actually, I met, sadly, in brackets, sadly, some Muslims that do celebrate Christmas. Um, so, you know, and, and Margie Nawaz tweeted out, how inclusive and uh, tolerant and pluralistic you are. You really fit to be an American congresswoman. You know? <laughs> because, you know, she's she's making this big... So, I mean, this is a virtue virtue signal on her part in a huge way. I mean, she's, look at, look at me, I'm this wonderful, tolerant, inclusive person. Um, and then, you know, I think Dave Rubin also tweeted something out about um, does your mosque perform gay weddings? How many trans members do you have? The Democrats must launch an investigation because that's what she initially said in a tweet, right? She yeah. wanted an investigation into this yeah. outrageous injustice. So we're going to now talk about uh, Alan Stajic, who was formerly the national coach of the Australian women's soccer team, who was sensationally sacked a few weeks ago by the Football Federation Australia, the FFA. And uh, Stajic was a very successful coach, which is kind of surprising. I mean, coaches being sacked in sports is not really yeah. a, it's not really an uncommon sort of thing, really. You know, coach doesn't do well, they get sacked. But Stajic has been very successful, which is why... This was sort of a curious, uh, curious business. Um, now, it appears that Stajic was sacked because of the results of two confidential surveys undertaken by players and staff. And the second survey was particularly interesting as it was undertaken by a government-funded feminist group called Our Watch. Now, Our Watch's mantra is end violence against women and their children. Well, I think, Scott, you've done a bit of research yeah. on Our Watch. Did you want to... Yeah, well, th- this is fairly typical of the, as I call it, the domestic violence industrial complex in Australia. Um, you notice that their aim is to prevent violence against women and their children. And um, as I've pointed out on many occasions, that uh, women's children are also men's children. And if we drew a, diagra- a Venn diagram, we could uh, we could make that quite clear and send it off to our watch, and maybe they could understand that bit. But basically, they are... They've they've adopted this uh, gender-specific attitude with respect to domestic violence. Women are victims, men are perpetrators. That's the end of the story. And women need to be protected, even though, you know, I know they they refer to uh, domestic violence, but their mantra is stop violence against women. Women are less likely to be victims of a violent crime. That's just a fact. Mm. But... That's well, if it's, if it's women and their children, does that mean that all men don't have to pay alimony anymore, seeing as it's not their children? Exactly. Well, I think that's a good point. Yeah. We should bring that up. Yeah. Um, anyway, there's been, there's been a lot of conjecture about why Stadich was sacked. And there's, there's two sides to the story. The first one is um, that Stadich was sacked because he promoted a toxic workplace culture. <laughs> no actual specifics have been given about what that was because... The FFA have said that they need to protect the privacy 
of those players of who course. were surveyed. But it also appears that there were certain high-placed officials in the FFA who were out to get Stach and wanting to replace him with a female coach. I can see you're already starting to yawn. <laughs> it's not, it's not no. your favourite not your favorite subject. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll continue on. The uh, A lot of the players and the players came out in support of Stajic um, and really were very upset about him being sacked. And the, and the reason is because he has taken the Matildas from being an average team to one of the top five in the world. Yeah. They won tournaments. They've beaten, they've beaten the USA. They've beaten Japan, who are the top two best yeah. teams in the world. But they didn't beat that Newcastle under-15 boys team. <laughs> no, they, 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 they did. They played a practice match against <laughs> a local club side's under-15 boys team and lost 7-1 or 7-0. Maybe that's why he was sacked. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, look, there's just a, a really... You know, and the FFA have, have shut up shop and they just won't answer questions yeah. about it anymore. They've said he was sacked. It was a, it was a toxic workplace culture. Players are very upset. There's a lot of media pundits who are also upset, saying, you know, there needs to be an investigation into this. Um, Toxic workplace probably just means he pushed them hard. Yeah. He made them work hard. Yeah. It could be. I mean, we just don't know. We just don't know. It's just there's no details have been given. But we, we do know that the most of the, the female, uh, most of the Matilda players um, have come out and supported yeah. him and are very disappointed about this. Sam Kerr's been pretty vocal. Sam Kerr, who's, who's our number one player and, and, and a few others. Um Anyway, I mean, I think, you know, this this has been done to death in the media in Australia. You know, you can easily Google this and, and find um, media reports about it. I think we wanted to talk more about our watch and and these surveys that were done because mm. that really hasn't been covered yeah. um, particularly at all. So the first thing that we saw about this was a Twitter user at Baka Monasan who tweeted at Bettina Arndt, who is a... How would you describe Bettina? She's a... Oh, I think she's now called... A psychologist. She used to be a sex therapist, mm-hmm. um, but I think she goes by psychologist now and social and, and commentator. Yeah. She seems to writer. Um, she seems to get up the uh, ire of, of, of lefties she's in Australia. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's very good, good at it. Uh, anyway, she, she received a tweet with a screenshot of a LinkedIn profile of a lady called Cassie Lindsay, and Cassie listed her two current job titles as diversity and inclusion manager at the FFA. And also at our watch. So, Always a red flag. Diver- yeah. Diversity, inclusion, hello. I think you should apply for some of those jobs. I think, you know, I mean... Oh, I could do it. Yeah. I've got experience working at universities, so... <laughs> right, yeah. Why did you leave universities? I was what? bored shitless. Uh, okay. Um, so anyway, we I decided to Google Cassie and now her LinkedIn page has either been shut down or made private. Mm. Curious timing. And... Did a bit more research about Cassie and we found she co-authored a paper called A Team Effort Preventing Violence Against Women Through Sport with the purpose of the paper to find out the link between sport and violence towards women. Mm. So some of the quotes from this paper are uh, are fairly interesting and I'll I'll quote one now. People learn and reproduce particular attitudes, behaviours and social norms through their participation in sport. And sporting environments are places where violence against women can occur directly and, if allowed, can provide a setting for entrenched violence-supportive attitudes and behaviours to be played out. Mm. Now, she cited a reference for that quote, uh, which is a link between sport and direct violence towards women, a paper called Differences in Adolescent Relationship Abuse Perpetration and Gender Inequitable Attitudes by Sport Among Male High School Athletes, which we'll link to in our show notes. So it seems like it's pretty important to find out why sport leads to violence, right? You'd think so. Yeah. Well, that's what they're they're claiming. 
So uh, the paper analyzed data from the Coaching Boys into Men study, uh, a school-based randomized trial in 16 high schools in Northern California. They described relationships among gender inequitable attitudes, which are not divine, uh, sport type and recent adolescent relationship abuse, which we're using ARA to describe those, uh, perpetration of a sample of 1,648 teenage male athletes. Um, what would you think that adolescent relationship abuse would be? Oh, well, there'd be a range of behaviours, you know, from hitting someone to controlling behaviour, you know, everything. But probably a hugely expanded definition just to capture mm. as much as they possibly can, you know. Oh, uh, he dictates where we go for lunch, you know, then that's a controlling behaviour or yeah. something. Some nonsense like that. Yeah. Um, so participants were asked about perpetrating any of the 10 abusive behaviours. Which uh, they don't tell you what they Which are. they didn't say what they were. They just said including physical, sexual, and emotional abuse mm. towards a female partner in the past three months. Um, and I tried Googling to find what those specifically were, but I couldn't find anything about it. Yeah. And the problem is here, they'll, they'll pre they present numbers, but then they won't give you the breakdown of which part well, was right. emotional, yep. which part was physical. It's, it's like the human rights survey they did two years ago at universities that found 70-something percent of girls have been sexually harassed. The most common form of sexual harassment, staring and leering mm. you know so you you looked across the lecture room you had some girl caught your eye and you looked at her for five seconds and that's sexual harassment now all right it's uh, leering that, yeah okay and then they run around saying there's an epidemic of sexual harassment nope i think we just all need to wear those sort of big sunglasses like those middle-aged guys wears that, that totally wrap around so no one can actually see your eyes <laughs> then you can just leer all you want what do you think i've got them for? <laughs> yeah i've just noticed you've got them on right now <laughs> Are you leering at me? <laughs> not, not because of check you, <laughs> check your male privilege. Yeah, um, yeah, but I think it's it, it's pretty important to distinguish between, say, raising your voice in an argument and yeah. punching someone in the head. I think there's yeah. a fairly, but you know, they've lumped they've lumped all of these ARAs into mm. into one category. Um, so this study found that black teens were disproportionately more likely to commit ARAs than white teens. Mm. And the total number of male high school athletes committing ARAs was about 15% of those surveyed. But the very first sentence of that paper quoted that the uh, intimate relationship abuse is experienced by as many as one in three youth in the general population. Yeah. So it actually turns out that teenage male high school athletes are 50% less likely to commit ARAs in the general public. Yeah. <laughs> so where's this link? Yeah, so this is this. Just remember, this comes from our watch's own paper yeah. that cited another paper yeah. to to make these claims. Because look, these people don't think you're going to check track down their sources. That's why I do. I don't know us very well. I, I've I've been <laughs> I've been reading this stuff for years now. I can tell you, first thing you do, just just they'll 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 have a quote and it'll have a little asterisk against it or a one or a two. Go down the bottom, find the source, go to the link. Well, that's what we're done. I, I, this was literally two two clicks for me yeah. from this paper. To get to, to find this. They don't expect you to read it. because, And, and you know why? Because journalists don't. They just repeat yeah, this the shit. headlines. That's why you had Vice saying, running around saying there's a 17% increase in hate crime. Because mm. they just read the headline number. I mean, it should be celebrated, to be honest, the fact that these male high school students are actually half as likely well, to perpetrate. Wouldn't the conclusion be that sport actually makes you less violent? Could be. It could also be that <laughs> Based you're... Based on you're, those numbers you read out. Well, it could also be that the fact that they actually... A lot of these people have strong uh, male role models. Yeah. Especially especially African-American kids who mm. who typically 
you know, there's a very low percentage of people who have actually have a, a male role yeah, model. Yeah, it's in their like life. less than it's like half or something. Half of half of white people, um, and also you know the, a, a big issue about this paper was that it's done in America, which has very yeah. different socioeconomic we, factors than Australia does. How is this relevant? I mean, it's just like she's found the only paper she could possibly find, and and still it comes to the wrong conclusions. Yeah, but the headline looks good though. The headline looks good. Yeah. Um, you know, it would be good if there was actually some research in Australia that actually talked about that. Mm. Just turns out there is. So we've got a we've got a study that was undertaken here in Australia, um, which was done by Swinburne University, mm. called Adolescent Australian Adolescence Experiences of Aggression and Abuse by Intimate Partners, and it showed that aggression, both emotional and physical, was fairly even between boys and girls. Yeah, actually, there was a slightly higher number of girls hitting boys, both. Boys reporting being hit and girls actually reporting hitting. Because mm. they ask both things, right? They ask, have you been hit? And then they ask, have you hit? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I think one of the interesting conclusions about that research is that they say something, they put it very, they the way they couch it is, <clears throat> um, they basically say there are different patterns of violence within young people compared to adults, right? And that maybe we need a different approach. Now, I think what they're getting at there is that we can't deny here that we have evidence that girls and boys are hitting each other in about the same level, mm. right? And that this gendered approach to domestic violence, where it's all about disrespect of women, just it just it doesn't cut doesn't cut it. Mm. And and the other conclusion I would have thought is that if this is true with young people, then why does it suddenly become men are just hitting women when they're adults? You know, what what, what suddenly happens at eighteen? Do men all just go? Yeah, it's time to start beating on the women, and the women just cower in the corner and don't hit back. I mean, well, what... yeah. it sounds like if you play an organised sport, that that's exactly what <laughs> exactly what happens. Like organised sport equals violence towards women, apparently, according to our watch. Um, so continuing on, Cassie's very well thought out and researched paper. Um, I mean, what you really have here is our watch, an unashamedly feminist organisation mm. using data from another country with different socio-economic classes mm. and and a different sporting culture, citing bad evidence that doesn't support their claim that sport leads to direct violence against women. Yeah. And then trying to apply that to all sporting organisations in Australia. Yeah. Um, so if we continue on the paper, uh, page 13, um, it's highlighted in a big blue box, and I quote, violence against women is serious, prevalent, and driven by gender inequality, mm. end quote. No citation to back that up. <laughs> she, yeah. then, she then goes on to list the main gender drivers of violence against women. And they are, one, condoning of violence against women, two, stereotyped constructions of masculinity and femininity, three, disrespect towards women and male peer relations that emphasise aggression, and four, probably most importantly, men's control of decision-making and limits to women's independence. And I'm thinking that one is probably fairly relevant to Alan Stajic and his now unemployment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they're trying to paint this as sort of some toxic masculine culture that's affecting players, even though there's, they, they won't tell you the results of any of these surveys of the players and the players are overwhelmingly supported. So it could be simply some players who didn't make the team got pissed off that they're not getting picked in the starting 11, so they, you know... Well, knows? I mean, the, the, the survey wasn't even with done on the players. The, no, the, survey, the survey was an open survey and... and I think they had nearly 400 results, 400 yeah. people answering it. Only three of them were actually current players players of the, of the national team. Yeah. Most of them were, were 
were former players, uh, friends and relatives, yeah. and non-playing staff. Stagix asked for an investigation, I think, into this whole thing, and yeah. uh, whether he gets one or not. I'm gonna be, it, I, I really think, hope he does. because I think he's going to take legal action for yeah. unfair dismissal. I mean, he, he was very quiet for about two weeks. He didn't mm. say a thing in the media for about probably two or three weeks after the sacking. It was mostly, it was pretty much everyone else was talking about it. Yeah. He, he did a press conference last week where, you know, I mean, the guy is obviously shattered. Yeah. And his reputation yeah. is tarnished. Yeah. I mean, you know, that people are saying he was sacked because of a toxic workplace, workplace culture. I mean, you can read anything into that. You can read yeah. into it. He was hitting them. I mean, you could read into it that he was abusing these, verbally abusing girls. Using these, these girls. Yeah. Uh, and this is a guy who has two daughters. Yeah. And you could you could see on the, on the press conference just how shattered this guy was. And yeah. I, I think that he's you're probably going to be looking at some form of uh, legal action taken against the FFA. Although, you know, perhaps in, in sort of some irony, because if you look, I mean, he's he could coach anywhere in the world, really. Um, and if you if someone like China or somebody's looking, I mean, they don't pay any attention to this bullshit. They don't buy this violence against women nonsense. Mm. They, they'd be like, he's a good coach. He got him from, you know, average team to top five yeah. in the world. Let's get him, you know. He might actually work in his favour. Well, but, I mean, even if you look at just the, the financial, how the financial aspect of the women's game in Australia has gone in the last few years, mm. I mean, he's, I mean, I think the Matildas were averaging crowds of a couple hundred people before right. he took over. Yeah. Now they're filling stadiums. Right. And players are getting paid good money. Yeah. I mean, the, the players had to fight for it. They, mm. you know, they actually went on strike a couple of times. Nothing mm. to do with Stadage. Mm. Um, that's to do with more with the, the FFA and the mm. players wanting a bigger piece of the pie. Um, but you know he's he's raised the profile of the game immeasurably yeah. here yeah. in Australia. Uh, I just you know I, I and you, even if you start thinking about how do male coaches treat male players? Yeah, because you know you, exactly. if you've ever watched any of these documentaries on Netflix with these you know American football coaches, I mean they're, they're abusing the players nonstop. No, we'll just go back to do you, do you remember the documentary that was done on Roy Masters when he coached Western Suburbs in about nineteen eighty? Oh God. Uh, no, I didn't see it, but I can, I can imagine. I can imagine. slap each other in the face and yeah. all this before the game. And, uh, yeah, it's just well, I mean, I was on 60 Minutes, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm curious about whether the women were treated any differently than the men. Yeah. Because they shouldn't be, right? Well, yeah. Should but, they be treated differently? Well, well, this is the this is the great contradiction, is because that feminism says it's for equality, but actually what it does, I mean, it, feminism says it's for equality, but it's judged by its action. And what it does is constantly try and carve out special privileges for women, often at the expense of men. Mm-hmm.